<laughs> that did not sound the way it was supposed to sound. But <laughs> awesome. Gotta love technology. You know what? If this if this last year and a half has taught us anything, it's just like I'm just glad that we're here together. You know what I mean? <laughs> We've had rainstorms, windstorms. We've had days where tents were flying away, cameras were falling over. Uh, you know, praise God. I'm glad you're here, and you guys look ridiculous, just by the way. Uh, most of you look extremely ridiculous. Some of you guys are too cool. Uh, some of you guys thought about uh, wearing your ugly Christmas sweater, but then it was like, I'm way too cool for that stuff. Uh, and obviously, I am not. So, I, uh, so we're, I'm going to talk fast, just like usual, and we're going to go through a ton of scripture today, actually, because there's a common theme throughout scripture that we're going to talk about that is going to be a kind of it's woven throughout throughout the scriptures from the beginning till the end, and there's so much scripture. There's going to be times where you may go, you know, especially you Bible scholars, you're going to go, how come you didn't say this story or this verse? And it's because there's just too many. It's overwhelming, the theme uh, in scripture. But once a year, uh, of all the three years we've been around as a church, uh, once a year at the beginning of December, we take one or two weeks, and we do a series called Prepare Him Room. This year is just one week, kind of the way the, the year fell. Uh, but we realize that this season has a way of, of crowding out the priorities of God, crowding out, crowding out kingdom priorities. And if you look at like even the, the, the idea of Christmas Eve in Bethlehem, right? It was during census time. There was a lot of stuff going on. You know the story. There's no room for them at the end. It was, it was packed, right? It was kind of Mardi Gras kind of level happening. You could not get a hotel room. It was going crazy. Meanwhile, off the beaten path, the biggest thing that happened in creation since creation, God becoming man, was happening. But because of all the stuff and the busyness and the excitement and the parties and the get-togethers, because of all that stuff, and the stuff isn't bad, but because of all that stuff that was happening, the vast majority of people just completely missed it. And what's so important in this season is that we don't allow just the stuff of this season, good stuff of this season, to crowd out kingdom priorities. And so what we do is we take one or two weeks this year, it's one year, where we just, or one week, where we just say, just like the old song, let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. So today's a special Sunday. Today we get to live out loud the heart of God in extremely practical ways. You know, we're talking with the worship productions team right before service. And we're talking about the fact that many times there, you'll hear this phrase of be a part of XYZ because, uh, you know, you can change a life. And a lot of times it's sensational. It's not totally true, but in this case, it is. And I think there's a few opportunities in a lifetime where you actually can legitimately change someone's life. And I'm so excited about today, guys. I'm so excited about it. So since we launched the church three years ago, we, we've been looking for a global partner that we can partner deep with, one that we can say, hey, look, you know, there's slices of ministries that we work with across the nation, across the world, and they will kind of fit into the vision of each individual, you know, so someone might be more for clean water, someone might be more for teen parents, but this, we're looking for a partner that every single person in the church can partner with. That we can say every single person, regardless of your experience, your age, whatever, you, this is a ministry that you can partner with. And so there's a couple different parameters that we've been looking for in a global partner. One is that they meet earthly needs, that they meet practical needs, right? That there's some social needs that everyone just needs. And then the second thing is that they prioritize eternal needs, that yes, we want to clothe and feed and educate and make sure these individuals are in a safe environment, but... We also realize that what's going to matter most 500 years from now? 
what's going to matter most on the other side of eternity? So they meet, et- meet uh, earthly needs, but they also prioritize uh, eternal needs. Don't, <laughs> sorry, Nathan, Nathan is cracking me up. All right, so um, I'm a little ADD, like le- legitimately. So we've partnered with some incredible organizations that many guys, if you spend any time around voice, have heard about. One of them is Young Lives. Uh, they support and they uh, kind of equip and train and introduce to Jesus uh, local teen parents, teenage parents. So 14, 15, 16-year-olds that also have a child while also trying to go to high school. Okay, it's, I can't even imagine uh, that. So uh, Young Lives, we partner with them. Operation Warm Wishes, TJ Tyron here in town. Uh, he focuses specifically on homeless and more, more in particular homeless youth and homeless veterans in our area. So we partner with him on a consistent basis. Zoe is fighting human trafficking in Bangkok, Thailand. The Woolies, Josh and Carrie Woolley, are on the front lines in the Amazon Basin uh, in Ecuador and Peru in the Andes Mountains to uh, reach over 100,000 people there who have never heard the gospel before. Right? And then the Rise Church Planning, which plants and revitalizes churches on both sides of the Pacific. The reason why I, I tell you all those ministries is not because I'm going to ask you to give to them. It's because I want to tell you that you already do give to them. Every dollar that you give to the church, you give. Th- there's a reason why we say you don't give to the church, you give through the church. Because a portion of every dollar that you give already goes to them. So if you give, you can feel good about, man, I'm, I'm fighting human trafficking, I'm reaching unreached people, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm providing uh, support and help to teen parents and local homeless youth. And then you're going to hear more about World Vision coming in January, where John and Arlene are going to captain the team once again, because they like to run, which I just don't understand. But they also like to help people. And so World Vision uh, helps with clean water. We'll tell you more about that on January uh, 9th. But what we believe, what we believe as a church, is that everything that we get personally isn't just for us personally. That everything we get personally is not just for us personally. What we believe as a church is that everything that, we, that comes in financially for the church isn't just for us as a church. So in Genesis 12, God talking to Abram, before his name became Abraham, he said this. He goes, I will make you into a great nation. I'm not, just, I'm not saying you're going to be great and famous and voice can be great. That's not just, you got to get the point. So I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless you. And you will be a blessing to others. That in this, what God was saying that is your blessing isn't just for you. That you're not just like a, like a lake where water comes in and just stays and grows and maintains the lake. That you're supposed to be more of a river. Water comes in, water comes out, and it goes wherever God directs it. Those of you that have, lived, that have been living for God for some time, have, remember the moment you had this epiphany. That it isn't about, God, how much of my stuff you want me to give away. You have this epiphany of, God, it's all your stuff. It's all your stuff. So what do you want me to do with your stuff, right? And then we see this continued even in Leviticus. And some of you guys, if you can't sleep at night uh, or if you just want a bunch of questions about faith in general, read Leviticus. We can have coffee about it afterwards. But he says this in Leviticus. He says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. In other words, don't be super efficient right? Leave them on the, along the edges of your field and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Don't make a second pass and make sure that you're, you get every little thing. Why? He says, leave it for the poor and the foreigners. Leave it. They're in your area. Just leave that stuff for them. And in case you, you, you get a little greedy and you want to, you know, increase your margins, remember, I am the Lord your God, right? Remember, right? This, this is one of those, because I said so, 
moments, right? So what he's saying is, in your, how you do finances, even as an organization, even as a business, is that you build in margin. You build in margin. That generosity is not a tax shelter. Generosity is not just as needs arise, but generosity is part of your MO. It's part of how you operate as an organization. And actually, what he says is, every time you harvest for yourself, you give away. Every time you harvest for you, you harvest for others. That those around you, the poor, the foreigner, the immigrant, they get blessed because you are blessed. It's part of your MO. So let me give you some stats because lest you think that, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not rich. I can't help people. Yeah, you, all you guys are one percenters. Those of you guys have been like it, that getting on one percenters, you are one percenters, every single one of you guys. So let me just give you a few stats of what's happening in our world today and what we can do about it. So first one is 385 million children live in extreme poverty today. Real people with names. 385 million live in extreme poverty. That means their family live on an average of $1.90 a day as a family. I don't even think you can get a small or a tall, which is a small, uh, drip coffee. At st- I don't even think you can get a, a cup of coffee at a diner for $1.90 anymore. Their entire family is living off that. 385 million children. It's a lot of people. Every five seconds, a child dies from a preventable disease. I just want you to s- that to sink in, especially parents in the room. Every five seconds, a child dies. That a pill or a procedure or a vaccine could have prevented. That if your child gets this illness, you would just go to the outpatient care, you go to emergency care, and it'd be taken care of. It's not, you wouldn't even stress about it. Every five seconds, a child dies around the world from that. Half of the world lacks access to health care. That means they're not getting checkups. That means they're not getting medical care. And I know some of this stuff can be overwhelming. It's like, what do you want me to do about it? And the thing is, you, you, we, we can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And to not get overwhelmed and paralyzed by all the needs, but man, I can do for one, right? Uh, another stat, one in three children suffer from malnutrition. One in three children suffer from malnutrition around the world. And the last one here is 2.2 billion people lack access to clean drinking water. 2.2 billion. That is a huge portion of the world's population. 2.2 billion. Because of that, each year, 297,000 children under the age of five die from a lack of clean water and all the repercussions from that. 297,000 children under the age of five die every year because of a lack of clean water. That's about 814 kids a day, a day, just because they don't have clean water. So in, on, in January, that's why <laughs> we'll tell you more about World Vision, because you can help solve some of that. So Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12. He was telling a story about a king and uh, people that are under his care. He says, the king says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, what the heck are you talking about? That's my translation. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked? We, we would have remembered that one and gave you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. 
every parent understands this, right? I remember there were times we have two kids that are 14 and 16 going on 30, and there were times where the you know, interns or youth leaders would say, hey, can we take your kids out and take them out roller skating or take them out bowling? Or do you mind? I know this is kind of a crazy season. We take them out and just talk about life. And yes, yes. And we understand that when you take care of our kids, you're taking care of me, right? If you hurt my kids, you're hurting me. So what is it like to be God who sees these stats? This is the heart of God, what he's talking about. Man, when you, when you took care of these, the least of these, the things, the individuals who could do nothing for you, you can, you know a lot, you can, you, can, you can learn a lot about your heart by how you deal with people that can't benefit you in any way, right? So he says, the way you take care of these people, you, that was taking care of me. And then he says a haunting verse, just five verses later, he says the opposite, the converse. He says, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. You were breaking his heart. And Jesus lived this out, right? Jesus gave everything for us. He gave up status and dignity. He gave up reputation. There were times where he was beaten and mocked for you and for me. Ultimately, he gave his life. He had a completely different approach to what success looks like, right? Later, the Apostle Paul, you know, one of the leaders of the early church, talking to the Christians in Philippi, uh, said this. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. In other words, don't focus on yourself and don't get everyone else to focus on you either, right? Be humble. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but to the interests of others too. Don't look out for only the things you want, but look out for other people too, you must have the same attitude, the same approach, the same perspective, the same worldview as Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Then he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This is who we follow. This is who we follow. Sometimes we think that when we become a Christian, everything is up and to the right, right? I, I follow Jesus, and so I get promoted, and I get more stuff, and I get blessed. That wasn't the role of the early church. When they followed Jesus, for many of them, it was a death sentence. For, for many, of them, it was at least an inconvenient sentence, right? It wasn't this idea of, man, my 401k is going through the roof because I, roof, sorry, I say, I say roof because uh, I'm a Christian. I don't know. I, I think I'm one of the only people I know that says, anyways, it doesn't matter. I, I digress. Uh, <laughs> this is who we follow, right? And as Christians, you know, we realize in the early church, Christian was a derogatory term. You don't see Christian in the Bible. Christian is what they called people who followed Christ. Because Christian means little Christs. It's like, oh, you think you guys are little Christs? It was derogatory, right? So this is who we are. We are, we are Christians. We are little Christ. We are Christ followers. So God gave up. God gave up a ton of stuff so we could live. Then he says over and over again in Scripture, go do the same. Go do the same. First Peter uh, 2.21, Peter was one of Jesus' kind of inner circle disciples who later became an apostle, leader in the early church as well. He says this uh, in one of his memoirs. He's in First Peter 2.21. He says, for God called you to do good. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. See, some of us are, God called me to do good as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. God calls you to do good even if it means you suffer, just as Christ suffered 
for you. Jesus didn't give to us out of his excess. He gave us in pain, carved out of his soul. He gave to us. So he says, man, do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. You must follow in his steps. So God gave up. Jesus gave up so that we could have opportunities we could never earn on our own, right? Jesus gave up so we can have opportunities that we can never earn on our own. And our role now is to give up things so that others can have opportunities that, we, that they can never earn on their own. So I want, I want you to hear a story, and I hope this video works. If, if not, you'll get the gist of it. Uh, <laughs> but it's a gal by the name of Yan Yan. I'm probably saying that wrong. But she's from the Philippines. She's a one-child, well, she was sponsored by one child. I don't think she is anymore because she's in college, uh, as you'll see in the video. But she had a, has a horrendous uh, childhood, one that most of us could never uh, relate to. But sponsorship, sponsorship, because one sponsor said yes and made all the difference in the world. So if this video plays, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's go ahead and watch this. Um, traditional trafficking are minor who are working in a bar as dancers or sex providers but nowadays it's not rampant anymore we have laws already that no minors in those kind of places so then OSEC entered online sexual exploitation entered I was 12 years old when I came to the ranch. I don't have any hope or dreams. When I am down, when I am in my mind that think about I'm not belong here, I, I realized that maybe this place is a very useful for me because I'm thinking for my family. When I got home, maybe I, I'm, I do it again the thing that I don't want to I read some stories there that just like a bird falling down because his wings is broken uh, the bird thinks that the man who holds is to harm him to harm the bird again but that's a reality because if we meet someone, we think that he will harm us, the stranger, but some are to help us to bring back to life. In the ranch, they provide us the shelter and the meals and also we have our schooling there. We have a illness or we getting sick. Um, we have a clinic and a beautiful nurses and the livelihood for for making jewelries uh, to train our skills. 
I have a fear counselor. She's always remind me that you are in a purpose. You are not alone. I came to know God at the ranch and I started to dream again to ask God the vision, his plan for me. That's why they called me I'm a I'm a smiling girl. crazy uh i want to invite david up or david's from uh one child let me give david a round of applause <clears throat> so david's from uh one child and he can answer a bunch of the questions and you guys will answer a few questions here because i had a bunch i mean so uh, a friend of mine introduced me to one child uh because he started out as a one child sponsor then his church started started sponsoring one child children uh, and then introduced uh, me to them. And so a few months ago, uh, Natalie and then our children's intern, uh, Madison, uh, we flew out to Honduras to see what they do firsthand. Because we weren't going to say yes to anything uh, unless we saw firsthand kind of what they're doing. And so, um, yeah, so I had a bunch of questions. So we're going to answer a few questions here. If you have more questions, the One Child booth is out there, and then you can ask them anything you want. All right, ask them anything you want. Uh, David's got his uh, voluntold children here right. uh, helping. So, uh, yeah, so I, I guess the, uh, the first question is this. What is One Child? Like, <laughs> what is One Child and what are you, what are you guys all about? Uh, one Child brings hope to hard places. Um, that's what we do. Um, he's, everything that he's set up here makes my job a lot easier um, right now because you know the statistics. I want to explain that it's not about the statistics with the kids. Um, it is overwhelming. When you think of 400 million children living in poverty, you feel like there's nothing we can do. Um, the reality is every one of you can change a life today. We were leaving to come here from the hotel, and that was the thought that came to my mind. It's like, let's go see if we can get 25 kids' lives changed uh, today. Um, don't push off the situation because you don't feel like you can make a big enough impact. Um, I'm going way off script here, but I'm thinking about this right now. There's a kid, there's a story of a little boy that was at the beach and he was, there was starfish that were washing up on the beach, hundreds of them. And he kept taking them and throwing them back in the water, right? And this old man watched him do this over and over again for several minutes. Finally, this old man goes up to this little boy and he says, what are you doing? You're never going to make a difference. And the little boy threw a starfish back in the water and looked at the old man with that grin that kids have when they know of something that adults don't know. And he said, it made a difference to that one. And he started throwing. That's what you get to do. We bring hope to hard places by providing for physical needs so that we can. It's hard, it's hard to tell somebody about the gospel when they haven't eaten for days. They don't care. They just want food, right? So you meet the physical needs so that you can have an opportunity to share with them about their spiritual needs in the gospel. And that's what, that's what we do. So talk turkey. What, how much does sponsorship cost? What's it going to cost? And then what, what does that money go to? How does it impact Absolutely. the child? Uh, sponsorship is $39 a month. Um, that $39 goes to provide, it goes to your child. Okay, that's one of the big things that I want to make sure that it's clear. Um, right now, almost 90% of every dollar that's raised in sponsorship goes directly to providing food, medicine, education, a safe place to play, 
all of those things for these children through a local church in most cases, um, and in, in, in the Philippines specifically, um, the Hope Center there is in a local church so that these kids get to come together and they get to have these needs met in a safe environment and then they hear the gospel as well um, with it. Um, there is no time commitment. People ask this question every Sunday, like, am I committing to this for a year, five years, 10 years? You know, if you sponsor a child that's six years old today, that child will be in this program until they're 18 years old, most likely, all right? Sponsor that child as long as you're capable of sponsoring that child. If it becomes a situation where you financially can't do it anymore, it's okay. Don't feel like you're obligating yourself under a contract forever. We want to work with you to help make sure that you maintain that relationship with that child so that when you can pick up that sponsorship again, that opportunity is still available to you um, with it. And tell us about our our village that we're sponsoring yeah. because we, we went back and forth, and I was very honest with my friend Jason, who, you know, part of One Child, and I told him, I go, look, I don't want to, I, I don't feel like our church is supposed to partner in Honduras. He goes, no, no, no it's not about Honduras. It's about, yeah, I want you to see the model. I want you to see faces, have some uh, kind of a, a frame of reference. And then where do you feel led? And I go, honestly, somewhere in Southeast Asia, uh, Cambodia, Thailand, Philippines. And he goes, Philippines is a huge need. Philippines is a huge need. So tell us about our location yeah. in the Philippines and yeah, any information you can give us. Yeah, so it's called the, the uh, Philippines 105 uh, Digos Hope Center. It's in the Mindanao cluster um, there. It's an area, I mean, when you talk about poverty, you have to think about the impact of that, right? So everything you saw in this video with Yin Yan was, was the things that these kids face uh, in that area. There's gang violence, which is really uh, massive uh, in that area. Um, the parents are, um, when, when you can't provide for your child, you lose your humanity. So imagine what you're doing in, a, in that community there. Gang violence, sexual exploitation, poverty like you know, none of us have ever really been able to wrap our heads around probably, right? When you here in Orange County sponsor a child in the Philippines in this Hope Center, in the Digos Hope Center, you're not just changing one child's life. You're lifting that child out of poverty and you're giving that child hope. But imagine what happens with the rest of the family. You lift that family out of poverty to some extent because you're helping take the financial burden of that one child off of the rest of the family. And then you're also impacting those parents because now they know their child's provided for. Mm -hmm. And that gives them hope. You're breaking the cycle of poverty in the lives of these families. You're making an impact that's generational because you're sacrificing $39 a month, which is a lot of money, I get it, right? But $39 a month to us is kind of our extra if you break it down by day. Your extra is everything to that family. Yeah. I like to flip the script if that's okay. Whatever. All right. <laughs> You talked about vetting lots of different organizations, right? Oh, yeah. There's lots of different um, ministries that do what we do. Yeah, I said no to a lot of friends who work for organizations that they really believe in. Why one child? Why one child? Um, you know, Jason was really smart to invite us on the trip. 
honestly. The because um, seeing it changed everything. One of the th- a couple of big things I noticed. One, um, the entire staff is indigenous. So it, I, I expected to see. We went to the regional office, and then the Hope Center has a director. Each Hope Center has a director. Uh, the, uh, the local church obviously has a pastor and pastoral staff. I didn't see one American uh, working there. It was all local people that knew the streets, knew the names, knew the kids. Uh, the to the point where we met this a couple. Uh, they're not. Ki- I guess they're kids. One was seventeen. One was eighteen, and they were right about to age out of the, the program, and they were super bummed. They were super bummed because they're like, it, it, it's literally changed their life. They've been a part of it since they were like three or four years old. And uh, we asked them, what are you going to do now? And they go, oh, no, we're going we're gonna to serve one child. We're now going to give back to the kids that are coming in because someone gave to us. And that's the staff. So I thought that was really important, which it seems like it would be kind of a no-brainer, but that is not normal. Uh, that is not common. And then the other thing was Jason, our friend, I keep on bringing it up. I'm Jason, I don't know if you're watching this online. He's leading his own church right now. Um, <clears throat> but seeing him, he was surprised because when we went out there, uh, the tour person, uh, we visited a few Hope Centers. She goes, Jason, we're going to go visit your sponsored child tomorrow. And he like, li- I thought he was going to just bust out crying right there. He did, did not expect it. So we went to go see that her, her Hope Center. Uh, the, sp- the child that his family sponsors, one of them. And when he saw her and vice versa, it wasn't a sponsor meeting a sponsored child. It was like uncle came to town. It was like a family reunion. It was so cool. And then to get to hang with his sponsored child, go to her home, and her, his, uh, her mom uh, makes these tortillas and sells them for like two cents, American dollars, two cents, to the other people uh, around the area, and that's what they live off of. Um, the seeing her in the, the Hope Center, where they have food, they have education, they're singing like worship songs in chapel, and I just kept on thinking, like hundreds of kids, like where would these kids be if there wasn't a Hope Center? I, I kept on racking my brain, where would they be right now if this Hope Center wasn't here? Like where would they eat? Because they were eating all their meals there. They were getting educated there. Like, where would they go? And just kept on thinking, like, every single one of these kids, there are sponsors somewhere uh, in, the, in the world sponsoring them. So for me, this, you know, this Digos Hope Center in the Philippines is not a hope center. We as a church would see them as a sister church. And so we will go visit them when they reach out and they say, man, we want to build this wing or we want to, you know, do X, Y, Z. Then we're going to raise funds to help them build playgrounds or technology centers. And they might get a, they have a building before we get a building. We'll, we'll help them to get stuff that we don't even have because they're a sister church. And so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's why, that's why. Yeah. So with that, any other questions? Okay, um, David has a little dance. He's pre- no, I'm just kidding. No, okay, no, so, no um, so uh, we're gonna sing one last song together. Actually, we're not gonna. The, the band is gonna sing uh, a song, and um, I, I don't want you to sing it because most of you guys probably don't know it anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I want you to think, and I want you to pray. And again, no arm twisting, no manipulation. But there are 
Well, I, I can say this. We're shooting for 25 kids, um, which is numerically audacious. You got to know that. It's audacious. It's a little uh, maybe even unrealistic. But I like to think that we as a church, even though we're smaller and we're newer, uh, I, I like to think that we punch above our weight class when it comes to generosity. And so some of you guys can sponsor one child, and you might have to move some stuff around. Uh, some of us can actually sponsor multiple children. And so we'll talk about that here in a second. But as the, the band sings this song over us, I just want you to honestly pray and think out of a cheerful heart, not of a, like, man, I'm, I'm a like, terrible Christian if I don't do this. No, no, no. I want you to think, is, is it possible is it possible that you could do this? And what would that look like? And what would that say to uh, your spouse, to your kids? What, what, what could that do? And what would that say to this kid who's on the other side of the planet right now, wondering if there's any hope? That's not sensational. That's reality. That's reality. And the, what would they feel when they find out that everything is about to change? Best Christmas ever. So that's what I want you guys to think and pray about uh, as they sing this song, and we'll come up here and uh, wrap things up in a moment.